looking at the data and trying to refine it down more. And one of the things, again, that I like to do that I don't want to go missed is when you get the data and you look at any sort of probate lead list, try to look at people that are inheriting properties where the mailing address is not in the state that you're trying to market to. Again, I've had a lot of success with that. Best ever listeners, do you want to make more money on your real estate projects? Well, I'm guessing that I'm hearing you say, oh yeah, baby. (laughs) Well, guess what, my friends? Today's best ever sponsor, Fund That Flip, is working with well, one of our previous best ever guests who has the most po- one of the most popular episodes, Jay Scott. If you aren't familiar with this episode, then go check that out, episode 217. If you are, because you're a loyal best ever listener, then you know that he knows how the heck to both analyze deals, especially flips, how to optimize the profits on those flips, and how to look at the market. Because of that, Fund That Flip, today's sponsor, has worked with him and put together a guide that is the seven tips to increase your real estate profits in today's market. Go check that out. Go get that guide. I've read through it myself. I've learned a lot of things from it, from how to analyze the market cycles, as well as how to optimize profits and not lose money or mitigate your risk for losing money on your deals. Go check it out. Fundthatflip.com forward slash best ever. That's F-U-N-D-T-H-A-T-F-L-I-P.com forward slash best ever. You're going to learn the tools to better understand your local market and position your business for success. You're going to know how to analyze the real estate cycle and how to use short-term investing to capitalize on the market cycle and seven concrete actionable tips to make more money on your deals. Fundthatflip.com forward slash best ever. Best ever listeners, welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Joe Fairless. This is the world's longest running daily real estate podcast. We've spoken to Barbara Corcoran from Shark Tank, Robert Kiyosaki, the author of Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And with all those conversations, we don't do any fluff. We only talk about the best advice that moves your real estate investing business forward. And with us today, we have a successful real estate entrepreneur. How you doing, Ralph Plum? Joe, how are you, man? Thanks for having me. I'm doing well, my friend. Nice to have you on the show. A little bit about Ralph. He is an entrepreneur at Mind Protein, which is an education and strategic platform for entrepreneurs and internet marketers to help them grow their business. He's also helped build several multi-million dollar businesses through his coaching program. He began in real estate with Dan Merrill in Connecticut CT Homes. I assume that stands for Connecticut Homes. Maybe not. You can tell us in a little bit. 11 years ago, he invests in the Northeast and the Midwest and Ireland. He's a graduate of Yale University with a degree in economics. And before real estate, he signed a two-year contract with the Oakland Raiders. He's based in San Diego and you can learn more about him at one of his websites, mindprotein.com. With that being said, Ralph, you want to give the best ever listeners a little bit more about your background and what you're focused on now? Sure, man. So my background is I, I went the traditional education route, was fortunate enough to get accepted to Yale, played football there for four years. And then afterwards, I had an opportunity to play briefly. And I, I say very uh, the word play very loosely in the NFL. Uh, signed a two-year contract. It really didn't work out. It was a fun time. 
Got to play with uh, Randy Moss, Charles Woodson, some of those names that your listeners might be familiar with, but they probably won't remember mine because it was so short-lived. After finishing up my football career, I kind of was figuring out what I was going to do. My background was in finance, worked for money managers throughout college. My background was in economics, but really wasn't excited about the traditional background and corporate environment. So I reached out to a friend of mine, a guy named Than Merrill, who's a very well-respected entrepreneur in the real estate space, and I'm sure a lot of your listeners are familiar with him and Fortune Builders. But even before then, before Fortune Builders existed, CT Homes, their real estate investment company, I became really an unpaid intern. And I figured I really enjoyed the real estate space, wanted to learn about real estate first before getting my feet wet, so to speak. So I went to go work with him for a year back in 2005 in New Haven, Connecticut for CT Homes. And since then, I've worked with them over the last 11 years in various capacities, as well as had some other companies on my own and with others as well. But uh, fortunemillers.com is that resource to where I even do some trainings for them now. But really, the foundation of what I do is real estate. Always will be. It's never going to go away. So I invest mostly in the Northeast, in Rhode Island, parts of Massachusetts, have some rentals in the Midwest, and then I've even been involved in some commercial deals in Ireland as well. How'd you get involved in the Ireland deals? Relationships, obviously, as you know, Joe is a big part of business in that came from Fan and Paul Asajian, Fan Merrill and Paul Asajian. They have an investment fund called Grand Coast Capital, and there's different opportunities that come up. And the CEO of Grand Coast Capital is a guy named Jeff Carter, who has relationships in Ireland. In Ireland, it's interesting, their banking system is almost like the U.S. banking system was in 09, lack of liquidity, where it's starving for liquidity. So there was an opportunity to fund a commercial deal there. And Fan, Merrill, and Paul, they, they went to some of their investors like myself and posed the deal. And uh, a few of us went in on it. And uh, actually, the deal is going to be paid off at the end of August, actually. So it's a cool opportunity. Actually, there's, they're coming out with some more opportunities in the Ireland space with some different funds that they have for that reason. Again, it's just kind of a unique opportunity that exists in Ireland due to the lack of liquidity that's there right now in the banking system. And you were a passive investor in that deal? I was. Yeah, that was 100% passive. They had an active investor on the ground there in Ireland that was controlling the deal. And it was strictly just a capital investment. Yeah. Okay. When you speak and do the fortune builder trainings, what are you speaking about? Really a lot of different phases of real estate. Obviously, as you know, Joe, I'm sure you've had a lot of different guests really introducing a lot of people to the different parts to real estate from how to acquire deals, how to fund deals, how to manage the construction process well. Obviously, in any training like that over the course of a, a couple few days, can't teach everything there is to know about all those topics. But really, it's a session that I typically, when I do trainings for them, it's around a lot of different topics, introducing different ways to go about, again, sourcing deals, sourcing capital, and really exposing people that are interested in real estate to a lot of different topics and principles that we've used over the last decade plus to find success in the business. What's one way to source a deal that we might not have heard of or has been incredibly effective for people you know as well as yourself? You know, I love probates, Joe. I found a nice little niche with probates. Obviously, that's not something that's brand new. A lot of people on your trainings and your podcast may be familiar with probates, but I really found a lot of success with probates over the years, specifically with direct mail to probates, dropping a a four-mail, five-mail sequence. And specifically in Rhode Island, there's a lot of people that have owned homes for a long time in Rhode Island where they raised their family in Rhode Island. Rhode Island actually has a decreasing population. It's one of the few states in the union where that's happening. And so a lot of people that inherit properties 
a lot of times they're not living in the state of Rhode Island. And so what happens is I really like Joe to take a list of probates and then I like to source them to whenever there's an out-of-state mailing address to the probate. So what happens is if someone's inheriting the property and they don't live in the state or near where the property is, they're more likely to have motivation to move the property, meaning they don't live right next door to the house. For them to manage it and deal with the property would be more of a hassle if they're not located near the property. So I like to really further refine the list. So take a probate list and then further source it down to where the mailing address to the person on record for the probate or inheriting the property is not in the state and then direct mail to them, but with a four to five piece campaign. It's been working really well and it's something that your listeners might like to try as well. Where do you get the probate list? I do it a couple different ways. There's a platform called RealFlow, which is something that I've been using now for a number of years. It was originally founded by Greg Clement a long time ago, but it's they recently actually have introduced probate mailings into that sequence. I used to buy it from a separate list provider. Obviously, you can find a probate court in every county in, in this country, but I, I prefer the methodologies of acquiring the lists rather than going there manually pulling them. So I used to go out and just buy them from different list sources, but now I just pull them from right within RealFlow because I think they released it maybe five, six months ago where you can acquire probate leads from that platform. So that's where I do it now, but there's a lot of sources to do it. Have you closed on deals that you've gotten from that list, RealFlow? I have. Like any list, anytime you buy a list, Joe, as you know, it's not a sure thing every time. But what we found is consistency is, is probably the most important thing with any sort of marketing campaign. You know, I think it's unfair to say in any marketing that you do that, okay, you hit it out of the park with the first one to say, oh, this is going to work that well every time. Or it also is unfair to say if it doesn't work the first time to give up on it, right? Yeah, I have. I've closed on a couple from those campaigns. And it's not too different from the data that I was buying prior. It's very similar data. And really, one really nice tip is really looking at the data and trying to refine it down more. And one of the things, again, that I like to do that I don't want to go missed is when you get the data and you look at any sort of probate lead list, try to look at people that are inheriting properties where the mailing address is not in the state that you're trying to market to. Again, I've had a lot of success with that. Let's say a five-sequence direct mail campaign. What does the messaging look like on each of those five? You know, really, for probate, obviously that would be different with any other mailing type, but with probate, a lot of the things that I've found in the past is really the general theme is ease of transaction. A lot of people that are inheriting properties, what are their options? Keep the property, list it with a realtor, try to sell it themselves. You know, a lot of times when people are inheriting properties, it's not something they were planning on. So it's adding additional tasks to their life mm-hmm. and sometimes some emotional stress. So really ease of transaction, meaning we'll buy the house as is. We're not going to negotiate repairs down the road, cash offer. You can leave all the stuff in there. You can take everything out of there. Really flexibility in really everything is what we'll offer because a lot of our probate situations, a recent one that I just acquired with somebody in the city of Warwick, Rhode Island, the house was 3,200 square foot house filled with stuff. I mean, literally it was, I don't know, five, six dumpsters worth of stuff that had to come out of the property. And one of the big keys for that seller, and it was a probate situation, was just didn't want to deal with all the stuff. They didn't know where to start going through all that. So back to your original question, what does it really encompass? 
really ease of transaction. So if anyone's trying to figure out what to put in that type of link, that's been really, really effective because whenever you're marketing, always putting yourself in that person's shoes, which is someone inheriting a property that they weren't planning on necessarily inheriting. And now, again, there's usually some emotion and there's time involved in their busy lives. They have family, jobs, et cetera. And now they're having to deal with this. So realtor, for instance, if they're going to list it, is not ideally going to want to list it with all that stuff in it. The average buyer won't be able to go through and make sense of a house that has all this stuff in it. Nor, you know, if they're going to put it on the open market, a lot of sellers don't want to put their name on a property that's got a lot of stuff torn apart, not yeah. in very good condition. So we go in and they, you know, we're very clear up front that we are an investor. We'll buy the property for cash. We'll buy it as is. That type of language is always really good in the probate situation. You mentioned earlier that you talk to people about different ways to source deals and capital. You just talked about deals. What's one way that you've sourced capital that might be of interest or perhaps is most effective for you? Without a doubt, it's from private money sources, private individuals that have capital. These can be people that existing lend in the past. You know, I do some lending myself. I do a lot of lending. It's something that I want to do more of as well, where I lend on deals. But individually, there's, there's folks like myself, but also there's people that you might not expect that can be sources of lenders, i.e. someone retires from a job and they have a 401k, they're sick of riding the ups and downs of the stock market, the uncertainty of the stock market. And the stock market has, earned, has returned since the Great Depression, you know, a yield of 7, 7.5% on average. And again, that's a varied rate of return, but that's that's on average what it's been. But you know, some years maybe 15, 18%, some years down 10. And that variability of return creates a lot of anxiety for retirees. So someone who retires from a job, we can, someone that has an old 401k, they can self-direct it and then they can become a, a private lender on a property just like a bank would with a mortgage, a promissory note, et cetera. So uh, private lenders are always the best for what we do as creative real estate investors. The reason why is the flexibility. Obviously, dealing with banks, traditional mortgages take a lot of time, especially in the summer months. You know, properties that I'm closing on where I'm selling them, it seems like every mortgage broker takes a vacation the week we're trying to close a property. But when we're acquiring properties, that can be very difficult. So it allows us to make more cash offers. So private capital, either from people that are currently lending or from individuals that have home equity, money in the market, old retirement accounts that they're looking to put a more consistent rate of return around. That's historically been the lion's share of where I've borrowed capital from to do my deals. Also, I mentioned earlier, Fan, Merrill, and Paul Sajan, Fortune Builders, they have a fund that's lent over $116 million in the last few handful of years that I've borrowed from time to time on. So different hard money funds as well can be decent sources. So really, those are the best. Obviously, private money will get a lower rate. But I think having a mix of capital is always better than relying on one source. You know, I, I uh, encounter some folks in my travels who really only source capital one or two ways in their entire career. But what happens is when you allow yourself education around more than one source of capital, what it does is allow you to take advantage of deals you may not have been able to in the past. Other sources of capital subject to financing which is a strategy that very few people in my travels have heard of. People that have done real estate traditional sense, like at the retail level, agents, mortgage brokers. Subject to is the concept of being able to leave an existing loan in place. And again, not assuming a mortgage, but subject to, you can do it on non-assumable mortgages. It's a higher level strategy and technique, but it's a really good one because 
particularly with interest rates on where they've been in traditional bank loans, three, four, five percent. Subject to is a strategy where you can tap into that capital at historically low rates that doesn't rely on you getting a new loan. You can leave an existing loan in place. Obviously, the seller has to also want to do this, so there's got to be something in it for them. But it's a little bit more complicated of a strategy. So I just mentioned a few private money, some hard money funds that I borrow from, and then subject to. Those would be my top three sources of capital to fund deals. Ralph, what's your best real estate investing advice ever? Know what you're doing before you do it. (laughs) Uh, You know, I think... (laughs) How do you do that, though? Because there's a fine line of analysis paralysis and then knowing what you're doing before you do it. It's one of those things that you could spend a lifetime reading books and never know everything you're looking to know about real estate, right? There's so much out there. It's such a broad field. But there's big wins in real estate. There's big losses, as you know, Joe, if you don't know what you're doing. And you don't know what you don't know as well. So how did I do it? I spent a year with some guys that I respect very, very much and have worked with for over the last decade. But I think having other people on your team, people that not necessarily are in your business, but people that you build strategic alliances with, business relationships with, that you can go to when you have a problem or when you have a question. People that have been there, done that, right? Because like you said, you don't get paralysis by analysis. You absolutely need to educate yourself. But there will be things that you encounter in the field. You, you will encounter in a specific deal, how to get these things answered. And part of that is going to people that uh, you know, trust, and respect what they've done in the past so you can leverage their experience, essentially. You know, I'm not a big self-made millionaire guy. I don't necessarily agree with that thought process just because if you look at people that have a lot of success, and I'll put myself in that category, there's been people around me that I can certainly point to that have helped me along the way. Makes sense. You ready for the best ever lightning round? Sure, man. All right, let's do it. First, a quick word from our best ever partners. Best ever listeners, Matt Bowles, who was a guest on episode 289. His company, Maverick Investor Group, has a special report just for you on how to avoid the seven biggest mistakes in real estate that investors make in the 2016 boom cycle. Get yours free at maverickinvestorgroup.com forward slash best ever. That's M-A-V-E-R-I-C-K, investorgroup.com forward slash best ever. Best ever book you've read? Best ever book I've read. Oh, jeez. Oh, man. E-Myth, Michael Gerber. Best ever personal growth experience, and what'd you learn from it? Uh, Blair Singer, he had an event called the Ultimate Personal Development uh, Event. What I learned from it, what high standards look like. There was a guy named Mac Newton who was there used to train Bo Jackson, Deion Sanders. Anyways, it was a phenomenal training. What do high standards mean? Just the standard at which people carry themselves on a daily basis. Okay. And in any, can we, I want to dig a little bit deeper on that one. I was just just trying to keep the lightning round. Yeah, no, I hear you. I hear you. No, I appreciate (laughs) I respect you respecting the lightning round. Um, But just what's the insight here on that training? That wasn't necessarily the, the purpose of the training, I guess, but that's what I took from it. Anytime you surround yourself with people that have a lot of success and, and carry themselves in a way and make decisions, not only in their business life, but their personal life, I call it a standard. It's what they do. It's how they normally make decisions. When you surround yourself with people that have standards that you know and respect and want to emulate, it makes it a lot easier for you to carry yourself in those same standards. Whether it's parents, I have two small kids, a five and a half year old and a one year old. When I surround myself with people that I respect the way that they parent, carry themselves, it makes it easier for me to make those same decisions. The old adage goes, 
I've heard a lot of times people say, well, they're a good person. They just surround themselves with the wrong people. I firmly believe that we choose who we surround ourselves with, right? So <clears throat> putting yourself around people that really carry themselves well, make quality decisions, not only in their business life, but also in their personal life, it makes it a lot easier for you to do the same. So that's what I mean by standard. Best ever deal you've done. Oh, man, best ever deal I've done. It was a wholesale deal. It was a short sale in New Haven, Connecticut when I was with CT Homes back in 2000. I, this might have been 2006 at the time, but shorted a deal with the bank. Bank was owed. I don't I can't remember. This was a long time ago. Bank was owed, I think, over 200000 Maybe they were owed high hundreds to low $200,000. Shorted it down to somewhere in the 80 range and then sold it. So we closed on it with the bank and then sold it to another investor two and a half weeks later for over 200000 it was a double closed short sale. The net to the company was over six figures, but it was one of my favorite deals. And it was early in my career. That's probably why it's one of my favorites. Best ever way you like to give back? I enjoy training. That's one thing I like to do to give back. The other thing, I served on the board of directors for my local Habitat for Humanity back a few years ago for a couple of years. That was a, a fun experience. Then with having kids and things like that that required more of my time, I had to give up on some other things. But I look forward to doing that again in the future just a great organization around real estate that uh, I really enjoyed. What's the biggest mistake you've made so far in real estate? Not buying enough in certain key strategic times. I wish I would have bought more in 09, 08. I did acquire some, but mm -hmm. I, I, I wish I would have bought more. Don't we I, all? Yeah. I would say if, if I could point to one thing, I haven't made any catastrophic mistakes. I think that's a product of surrounding myself with great people and knowing what I'm doing before I do it. However, you can always look back and, and do some things differently. And that's certain. I would have loaded up more. And what's the best place the best ever listeners can reach you? They can reach me through fortunebuilders.com. Yeah, there's customer service on there. If they wanted to reach out to me there, they certainly could send something in and say, how do I get in touch with Ralph? And they'll be able to track me down and get in touch with me for sure. Ralph, this has been a, a wonderful conversation. I, I love how specific you got with probates and direct mail and the general theme is the ease of transactions. So taking that up like a couple levels for any type of marketing and buyer-seller relationship is finding the pain point and showing how you address it. And in your case, going back to the probate, it's buying the house as cash or as is or cash offer or you can take the stuff, whatever it is, we're going to make it an easy transaction because we realize that you either going to have to sell it yourself. It's a nuisance. You might be going something on with your family already. So you don't really want to deal with this additional task. I love hearing that and love hearing your approach yeah, as well as some of the other things that you've been doing too, like investing passively in projects overseas and uh, the, the private money sources and having a mix of capital, not just one source. So really appreciate you being on the show. Hope you have a best ever day and we'll talk to you soon. Hey, I appreciate it, Joe. Thanks for having me. Best ever listeners, Matt Bowles, who was a guest on episode 289. His company, Maverick Investor Group, has a special report just for you on how to avoid the seven biggest mistakes in real estate that investors make in the 2016 boom cycle. Get yours free at maverickinvestorgroup.com forward slash best ever. That's M-A-V-E-R-I-C-K investorgroup.com forward slash best ever.